Well, good morning. I invite you to take your copy of the Scriptures and turn with me to the fourth chapter of the letter of Ephesians in the New Testament. Now, this morning, I, I usually read from the New International. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation this morning that I swiped from Scott. And before he discovers that it's missing, I wanted to use it at least once in, in worship. But Heather, you can follow along in your new NIV study Bible. You know, I think it'll work when you get home. Oh, okay. All right. Ephesians chapter 4, and I'd like uh, for you to follow along as uh, we read from verses 1 through 13. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Always keep yourselves united in the Holy Spirit and bind yourselves together with peace. We are all one body, and we have the same Spirit, and we have all been called to the same glorious future. There is only one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There is only one God and Father who is over us all and in us all and living through us all. However, He has given each one of us a spiritual gift according to the generosity of Christ. And that is why the Scriptures say that when He ascended to the heights, He led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to His people. Notice that it it says He ascended. This means that Christ first came down to the lowly world in which we live. And the same one who came down is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens, so that he may, his rule may fill the entire universe. He is the one who gave those gifts to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. And their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ, until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature and full-grown in the Lord Measuring up to the full stature of Christ. Now, I'd like, like for you to hold on to that scripture this morning as uh, we deal with a very, very important issue, particularly at this time of the year. Uh, a number of years ago, Marilyn and I found ourselves on an airplane going to Los Angeles. And during that flight, it was going to be a really easy time for me. I was going to a conference, but Marilyn and our youngest daughter, Beth, were going to have a really hard uh, exhausting time of checking out the swimming pool at the Sheraton in Orange County and uh, going to Disneyland. So it was a hard trip for them, and they were resting up on the plane. But since my assignment was so simple, I, I could engage the people around me. And I uh, was in a conversation with a very well-dressed gentleman who was sitting uh, directly across from me. And, you know, two guys, you always ask, you ask different questions, you know, I know you gals, but you start with, what do you do? You know, we typically ask those doing questions. And, and he was really excited to tell me what he did. He was a research scientist. And he was doing research on the fruit fly, studying the process of aging. And, of course, the fruit fly has a very short life, so you can study the whole lifespan very quickly and the, the effects of deterioration and death. And he was excited because he believed that he was on the verge of some breakthroughs 
where in his lifetime, and he just got more eloquent all the time and more excited, he believed that it was going to be routine for human beings to live beyond their 100th year with good health. Now, you know, I was really interested in what he said, and just with eye contact and a few nods and, and strategic questions, he waxed eloquent for a good while, and we were getting close to the end of the flight, and I think suddenly he kind of came down a little and was a little embarrassed to realize he had talked about his work so much. So he said, and what do you do? Don't you love that question, Scott? Yeah. Well, you know, on my best days, I'm really in tune with the fact that the human being in conversation with me matters deeply to God. And that God is engaged in an all-out quest for that person. And that it is no accident, probably, that I, a Christ follower, am sitting across the aisle on an airplane from Him. And I, I seek on my somewhat better days to be in tune with that and care deeply about guiding this person possibly to consider Christ. And this was a little bit one of those best days, I guess. I could tell you about some failures also. But uh, in those times, I try to couch my statements in what uh, Bill Peel, in a book he has called Going Public With Your Faith, calls faith flags. Introduce that to some of you in our, our, our uh, lifestyle witness class. And a faith flag is when you're conversing with someone and you seek to make a brief statement that has spiritual overtones that depending on the responsiveness of the person you're engaging may lead to a deeper conversation about Christ. So he said, what do you do? And I, I, I said, well, you are investing in helping people live longer. I'm investing in helping people live better and want to live longer. Now, that was a faith flag, and I thought that was probably a little bit spirit-inspired. And I ran it up the flagpole to see if he would salute. <laughs> he didn't. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I think he, he had a kind of background that he knew where I was going immediately, and he literally, a, a scowl fell over his face. And he physically turned away from me and kind of awkwardly tried to engage another seatmate. So what did I do at that point? Well, I jumped up, I grabbed him by the lapels, I said, you idiot! This is important stuff. No, I didn't. I prayed for him. And through the years, on occasion, when I, for example, I thought of him this week, I pray for him again, because I do believe God is on a search. And I'm one link in the chain, and often you are. I just don't want to be the missing link. I did make a point before we plane to wish him the best with his presentation. But there is, a, there is one thing that we both illustrated that day on the plane. Him and his non-belief, I believe, probably, and mine in, in my belief. And that is that the Creator has wired us in such a way that we hunger for significance. We want our lives to matter we want to leave footprints somehow that, that a difference was made because we lived upon this planet. Now, my friend could have taken all the, the empirical tests that he could possibly take, and he would not be able to explain why human beings have that hunger. That clearly is put there by the Creator. And I want to talk about that a few moments together today from Ephesians, 
because this, this week, you know, the week between Christmas and New Year's, is a time when the statistics tell us, if we don't know it in our own life experiences, that many people struggle with a reason to get up in the morning. We've all heard about or experienced seasonally affected depression, you know, sad. And of course, certainly we are in, a, in, a, in an era in the culture where all of that can certainly be magnified and we need to be sensitive to that in our own lives and the lives of those around us. Is there any significance to my life? Does it matter? Do I make any footprints? Do I have a reason to get up in the morning? And of course, the Scriptures, which by the way, if you notice when you're down... You tend not to want to read your Bible, but there's every reason to go ahead and do so. Grab that Bible, because it addresses issues like that question. And one of those places is Ephesians. And in the passage we just read, we, we are introduced to the, the basis of our significance. And we read a little beyond verse 1, because we want, to, we want to answer a very obvious question in a moment. But verse 1 is enough. If you look at verse 1, what do you read? Some version of, I'm in Scott's New Living Translation, Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. That one verse immediately rises us above the level that says, I'm here on this planet by some kind of accident, and the best I can do is muddle through. Maybe I can grab, gobble, and then I'll get. That would be some people's lives. Grab, gobble, and get. Or, you know, get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the lid. That would be some other approaches to life. None of which lead down the path of significance. But this verse says, live a life that is worthy of the calling you've received because you have been called by God. There's all the meaning you need. The Creator has called you. And it is in the reality of His calling that you are appointed to the path of significance. You have been called by God. Now, the obvious question, to what have we been called? Let's see if Ephesians can help us a little bit. First of all, the very first word in the New Living Translation is therefore. Now, I sat in Glee Jones' class this morning, and she told us how important it is that when you see a therefore, you have to look to what has just been written so you know what the therefore is there for. I just want Glee to know I was listening. So here's one of those therefores, and we have to look immediately before this verse to see what the therefore is there for. And what do we bump into instantly? It's a favorite prayer in the Bible for some of you because you have told me this. Ephesians 3, 14 and following, and it's such a beautiful prayer, I want you to follow along as I read it. When I think of the wisdom and scope of God's plan, when I think of the wisdom and scope of His plan, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the Creator of everything in heaven and on earth. And here is what I pray. I pray that from His glorious and limited resources, He will give you mighty inner strength through the Holy Spirit. And I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts as you trust 
in him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And let's just stop there for time's sake. Now, that prayer is is dripping with relational significance. This is all about relationships, that kind of a prayer. That Christ will be more than just an acquaintance, but he will find a comfortable dwelling place in our hearts. And that the roots of our lives will go down deep into God's love. And that tells us what we are called to. First and foremost, we are called to a relationship. We are called to a relationship with our Creator through our Recreator, Jesus Christ. Now, we could trace that, therefore, all the way back to the first pages of the Scriptures and understand from the day that God created us. He spent five creative days creating the rest of the world, said, oh, it was good. And he got to that sixth day and he created humankind in his image. And he said, this is very good. He created us in his image with something of the capacity, the creator, the moral nature of that kind of life, but most of all, the relational nature of that life, that we would walk in fellowship with our creator. That has always been God's design for you and me. We are primarily created for a relationship with him. Now... We do have a problem. Ephesians 2 talks about that. Sometimes it's great to read the whole letter, you know, and find out the whole, the whole message here. And Ephesians 2 says that we are kind of like a cut flower civilization, as Elton Trueblood once said. You know, you see this beautiful flower. And what do we do? We admire it, so we sever it from its life source. And from the moment we set it in that vase and enjoy its beauty, the beauty is fading. It is withering and it is dying. And that is a picture, that is the story of you and me. Our beauty and our meaning and our significance are found because we are connected to the Creator. And instantly we become the gods of our own lives. That's, that's, you know, basically what sin is. And that's why all of us need to study the book. Because we all are addicted to self-centeredness. And we try to play God with our lives. And we sever ourselves from God, our life source. And immediately that sense of our significance begins to wither and to die. And then comes one of the great, great verses in the Bible, Ephesians 2, 4, which says, But God, but God, who is rich in mercy, who loves us so very much, even when we were dead in our sins, takes action. To transcend the the abyss that has been created between him and us through our own self-willedness. And to restore us and redeem us through Christ to be in fellowship with him once again. And out of that story comes this beautiful prayer. Now that you have been restored to Christ, you've been redeemed through Christ. Cultivate a continuous love relationship with him. That Christ may be at home in your heart. And that... Your roots will go down deep in God's love. That is the source of our significance. The greatest call upon our lives is to walk in union with Christ. As Jesus invites us in, in John chapter 15, keep on abiding in me. For if you keep on abiding in me, you will bear much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. And that is a lesson we have to learn frequently. The more we stay in union with Christ, we cultivate a love relationship with Him. The more we dwell in the awareness of His love and the more we distance ourselves from that, then we grope about in the shadows of our own self-delusion. And so God calls us first and foremost 
to an intimate love relationship with himself through Christ. You know, history can teach us a lot of things, and maybe we can learn something from history here. Two of the most powerful armies in modern history have been the armies of Napoleon in the early 19th century and the armies of Adolf Hitler in the mid-20th. And both of them conquered great amounts of territory. Both threatened to rule the world. Both invaded Russia. And both regretted it. If you remember your history, starting with Napoleon, and then 150 years later, roughly, uh, Hitler, they invaded Russia. And uh, the Russian army just kept retreating, kept retreating deeper into that cavernous territory. And then the Russian winter set in. We've learned something about the debilitating and immobilizing impact of, of harsh winters recently, haven't we? And suddenly Napoleon first and Hitler then later found that they had outrun their supply lines and they were bogged down in the severe Russian winter and, and they were at the mercy of freezing to death or starving to death or the Russian snipers who suddenly began to appear on the horizon. It's part of the massive madness and ego of Hitler that he didn't read his history and know better than to do what he attempted in Russia. And we don't read our histories either, our biblical history, our human history. And frequently we make that same kind of mistake. We charge forward into our busy weeks. And even those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, we're soon out there outrunning our supply line. Depending on our own selves. Forgetting that Jesus said, keep on abiding in me. For with it, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so he calls us first and foremost to a relationship. Several years ago, Marilyn and I <clears throat> were on the East Coast, not far from Washington, D.C., and then we were on the road to Damascus, but that is Damascus, Maryland, not the Damascus Paul was on. And we were at a retreat center. And in that retreat center, we had a very interesting experience that was new for the two of us. We were called to spend 16 hours in absolute silence with nothing but the Scriptures and, and a journal and nature. Now, of course, that was no problem for me. I don't really, you know, and right, you can't imagine I'd have a problem with that, would you, Scott? I mean, I don't like to talk anyway. Uh, actually, we were the ones that got called. We broke the rule and got called on it. But finally, we learned that we were there for 16 hours of silence and solitude, along with our Bibles, our notebooks, and nature. And we couldn't hang out together. And what did I learn? In 16 solid hours, along with God. I learned it's hard to be quiet for very long. I also learned that it, as some wise sage has written, that when you get quiet and you get alone with God, all those external props of noise and hurry and crowds are kicked out from under you, and suddenly you're standing there, in a sense, in your own nakedness, having to confront yourself in the presence of God. And some of the squirrels come out of the closet sometimes. And you have to face up to some stuff that you, that you stuffed. And then you really do begin to read the Scriptures. And you listen for God's voice. And then you begin, perhaps, to do some really great journaling. It was a great time of journaling for me. But ultimately, the outcome of an extended time of solitude and silence in the presence of my Creator did this for me. I became intensely aware of how much my Heavenly Father loves me. 
Romans 8 jumped up into my mind. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? And and all those great passages on God's love. I felt as John felt in writing his gospel. I was a disciple whom Jesus loves. And again, that's why it's important that we prioritize that continuous love relationship with Christ. That we may, we may be aware of His redemptive love for us rather than groping about in the shadows of the self-directed, the self-deluded life. Do you hear God's call? a relationship. You are too busy not to spend time alone with God. Now, secondly, and I'll spend less time on these other two, because I don't get, I don't get to preach every week. I'm going to finish the series this morning. <laughs> secondly, you have been called to a certain quality of life that rises above the mundane. You've been called to a lifestyle after the character of Christ. Verses 2 and 3 of the fourth chapter say, Be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Now that is, a, that is life on a higher plane. It came to mind as we read the, the second chapter of Philippians where we are called to humility after the character of Christ. It, it reminds me of such passages on the Christian life as Galatians 5, where we're told that the fruit of a spirit-controlled life is what? It's love and joy and peace. It's patience and kindness and goodness. It's faithfulness and self-control and gentleness. And when you, you, you read those lists from these various passages, you, you suddenly realize that God is not so much about the externals, but He looks straight at the heart and our heart attitudes. And He calls us to a different quality of life. And so when I'm evaluating my walk with God, it's not how often do I attend the services, have I kept my nose clean, I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't go with girls who do. But it has to do with those issues. Am I more loving? Am I more grace-filled? Am I more becoming more humble and becoming kinder and, and gentler and more faithful? And when I, I walk in, in, with Christ and, and begin to see my character develop after His character, I will begin to do the things that are listed in places like Ephesians 5, where we're given very specific instructions as to how we are to conduct ourselves with these bodies that are a gift from God as our power pack to do His will in the world and to follow His call. But it starts with the heart. And how do you develop a Christ-like heart that shows, begins to display those kinds of qualities that are counter to our nature? We refer back to the primary calling. Cultivate a continuous love relationship with Christ. And the more time we spend with Jesus, the more Jesus begins to rub off on us. Now lastly, we're called to a relationship, we're called to a quality of life that is all about heart attitudes. And finally, we are called to a mission. We are on a mission from God. Scott, when you visited Milwaukee, I think one of the things I did when we went from the airport, I, I, I took you down to drive alongside Lake Michigan, the other side from where, where Randy grew up. And uh, on the process, we took a, 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 a freeway that, that rose up into the air and then swooped down beside the lake, and it's a pretty view. But that freeway, for many years, just rose up and stopped. I don't know if it was budget concerns or what, 
but it was an unfinished road. And the locals told me, now whether it's true or not, you can't always trust locals. You know, every city has its lesser Seattleites that make up these stories about the, the, the metropolis. It may not be true, but they said that that was the highway on which they filmed that, that scene in the Blues Brothers where they have the automobile chase and then they just go off the edge and, and plummet down into the lake that it was filmed in Milwaukee. Well, I don't know, but I always think of the Blues Brothers when I think of that term, you are on a mission from God. Jake and Elwood were on a mission from God. And you and I, who are Christ's followers, are on a mission from God. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 13 says that God gives to the church pastors and teachers and evangelists, pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, apostles. And what is their job? To do the work of the ministry? Well, if you read this passage, I don't care what translation you have. If it, if, and this is one place where the King James is a little bit weak, because we, we don't read Elizabethan English correctly. But verse 11 through 13, it says that God gives us these people to equip His people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Jesus ascended back to heaven, and as part of His victory over our, our greatest enemies, sin, death, and Satan, He gives spiritual gifts to every believer. And the purpose of those gifts is for each of us to follow His call, to be on mission with Him in our world. The church is built up to do His mission when we follow His call together. You're on a mission from God. That mission is called the Great Commission, where we join God in His redemptive activity in the relational traffic patterns of our world. So this morning, you may, you may work for a certain employer, you may follow a certain career, but ultimately you work for God. And the company pays your salary, and your career provides your mission field, and friend, you are joining God on a mission of living and sharing your faith in the relational traffic patterns of, our, of your world. Now, if we could ever get that, to understand that God is pretty bright And that he has already deployed the greatest mission force on the greatest mission field. When he has set us into the traffic patterns of life in the neighborhoods and in the schools and in in our vocational settings. And there we're on assignment from him to, to join his redemptive activity in our world. Living the life that is mentioned, that we're called to. Having the sensitivity to seek those spiritual opportunities to share our faith. We are on a mission from God. And this morning of the video also reminded me of another way we're on a mission from God. Some of you are going to find your greatest and most satisfying significance in life by coming to identify where the work of God in you is intersecting with the work of God in your world. Now, what do I mean by that? What is the work of God in you and me if we're Christ's followers? It is to form our character after the character of Christ that we may shine as light in the moral darkness of our world. And what is God doing in our world? Well, He's busily calling non-Christ followers to Himself. And how does He do that? Well, He often does it by, by using needs and hurts and brokenness in their lives as bridges to their hearts. And so the work of God in me may intersect with the work of God in my relational world at the point of brokenness or of need in the lives of of people around me. And so for those of you who feel a tugging at your heart to check out ESL, 
we were able to experience this morning what it would be like to be in a strange and alien culture and not know the language. And so we can sit alongside people who have a great need to be given simple tools that may enhance their life experiences and check it out and you may find that you're on a mission from God. His work in you has called, caused you to intersect with His work in the lives of, of people from all over this planet who are now living among us. For some of you, you'll find it in the areas of brokenness. One of our cards that we got this Christmas, and I'll close with this, uh, just about, uh, was uh, from an older gentleman named Bob. Marilyn and I used to pick Bob up and, and take him to our Sunday night small group for years, and he mentioned how much he missed that. And first time I met Bob was when I visited him in the, uh, the senior facility where he lived, where he took care of his wife. His wife had not known him for six years. She had been ill for 12 years, and her, her most devastating illness was Alzheimer's. So I sat beside his wife, but she didn't know I existed. So I didn't really know her. And when she passed away, Bob asked me to do her memorial service. And people came from everywhere, and, and the service was held at that facility where they lived. And through visual images and, and music, and the personal stories of her children and her grandchildren and her great-grandchildren, I found that this lady lived a magnificent life and that the celebration in heaven must have been riotous for this woman. I also got to uh, experience the fact that Bob Hansen found his greatest call in life as a Christ follower to take care of his wife. And his world became very restricted at that point. He was a very multi-talented man who had had a very large uh, environment for his living and influence. But in his restricted world of caring for his wife with Alzheimer's for, for six years, and actually longer than that, those around saw Christ in him. And three times he was given an award from different agencies as the caregiver of the year. And I had multiple people at that service tell me how his, their lives had been impacted by how he cared for his wife. You see, in his brokenness, he found his greatest call. You know, Celebrate Recovery has that opportunity where some of us can find a call. First of all, we're all in recovery and we're going to benefit from that study. We also may be able to be used of God to touch someone at the point of their brokenness. We may find our greatest call. And as you read the fingerprints of God upon your life, don't neglect the failures. Don't neglect the pain. Don't neglect the darker side of our story because it is there where often God does His brightest work and we find our greatest call. Um, a few years ago, Marilyn and I were in Boston. For the one time we visited Boston, it was to serve and to be served. I had the same assignment, and I think she did too. No, she actually worked with me that time because we, our kids weren't with us. And uh, we landed in the Logan Airport for the only time I've been in and out of Logan Airport. And if I remember correctly, that airport was downtown. It was kind of out on the water. And I remember we actually had to go through a tunnel to connect with the rest of the city. And uh, a mentor of mine, the late Reed Harden, had been in and out of Logan Airport many, many times. And he said there used to be a church in downtown Boston that advertised their presence with this bright, neon, lighted cross. You've all seen those revival centers and things in big cities sometimes. And, 
And, and people used to laugh about the church's airline pilots ministry because all these pilots would see that cross when they, they landed at Logan. And then because of construction, the, the lights went out on that cross. And guess who complained? The airline pilots. They said, where's, where's the cross? Said, that's one of our favorite uh, points of reference as we're landing here. Turn the light back on at Logan Airport, was their cry. Jesus says, let your light shine. Don't hide your light. You're the light of the world. Where are you going to let your light shine? Where is the Spirit of God calling you to turn the light back on in the relational traffic pattern in which your Heavenly Father has placed you with a purpose because you have been called by God and therein lies your significance? Could we for a moment just bow our heads and and be in reflection? Maybe I'm fond of the bowed head because I have a pretty tangential mind and it really helps me to focus and listen to God. But however you best listen to God, it's okay. What is the reason that God had you in this place at this time on the Sunday morning between Christmas and New Year's? How is He reminding you that you, your life matters? You are a person of significance. You have every reason to get up in the morning. And somebody else's significance may even be connected to your recognizing that and acting upon it. Perhaps this morning you just do need to know that you are deeply loved by a redemptive God. And He calls out to you. He pursues you in your darkness. And sometimes at the point of your brokenness, you come to the end of yourself and you can be open. To the gift of life through Christ. Embrace Christ as your Savior and embrace life. You could ask Jesus into your life this morning. You could check that card that you're going to be turning out in a few minutes. You talk to someone about your desire to embrace Jesus as your Savior. Or to tell them that this morning you did indeed receive the gift of life by receiving Christ. This morning, perhaps, you need to address the relationship. We all know that if God doesn't seem as close to us as He used to, we know who moved, and it wasn't God. And we need to take action right now to determine that as we move into the new year and we turn a page, that we're the first thing we're going to write on that new page of the new year for our life is time alone with God. And it's going into our our day timers, our blackberries, whatever you use to, to schedule your life that you're going to seek intimacy with Christ, that your roots may go down deep in God's love. And this morning, do you understand that you are on a mission from God? And if you make yourself available and you ask Him, He'll begin to show you your life's calling. And if you look with the eyes of Christ, you can begin to see the people around you that God loves deeply. And just be a link in the chain. Just don't be the missing link. Use this time of reflection wisely and well.